0: Good morning, and it it's good to see all you. Uh, if you are cold right now, that means our air conditioning is working. Is that not a good thing, right? Yes, Amen. If we're freezing cold right now, we just want you to be positive it's working and know so people who put in the effort got credit for it. And plus, it's like ten degrees hotter up here, so you're, you're sacrificing for me, so I appreciate it from where you sit. So last week our AC was not working. If you're out of the loop and everyone outside out, out there was like, "Oh, it felt great. It was hot up here." I'm just saying. So uh, glad to have that back working. Uh, if you have your Bibles, be in First Corinthians chapter 13 here in just a second. Uh, I know we have a lot out with Memorial Day weekend, and uh, man, I hope they're having a good time with family or friends or whatever they're doing, and uh, just even more so, so grateful that we get to celebrate what's going on this weekend, the people who gave their lives so that we can worship freely in a country like this, and so I'm just grateful for, if any of you have family or friends or know someone that that, that describes, uh, I, just, I just want to thank you for them and just in honor of them what they've done, and so what a blessing it is to be where we are today. First um, Corinthians chapter 13, we've been continuing this series. Called heart of worship. If you're new here first time, I will give you the spiel. If you've been here every week, just tune me out if you want to. But uh, we've been going through the entire book of 1 Corinthians systematically, verse by verse by verse. Uh, But 1 Corinthians is a letter written to a church, and in it, the author, Paul, is addressing certain themes throughout. And so the theme we've been in the past several weeks is on worship. He's been talking about specifically their church and what worship service should look like there, things that were off-kilter, off-key, if you will. Uh, and so it's important that we understand that. Now, when we talk about worship, maybe it's good. To, something I haven't done yet is give some sense of a working definition of what is worship. Uh, I know that's a loaded term. Here's several different ones i found. Well, one definition i found says this. Biblical worship is acknowledging that God is the king and results in living lives in light of that truth. And another one is this. It says, worship is an expression of praise from the depths of our hearts toward a God who is understood through his word. Or One of my favorites I love is this. is worship is acknowledging, submitting to, and serving God as he says he is, and as he says we should in his word and not as we want him to be. I say that because it follows up with an important question. Is there a wrong way to worship? Some people think no, because as long as it's honoring, as long as you're doing your best, it doesn't matter. But the reality, yes, there is a wrong way to worship when we do it not as God described, not as God intended it. In other words, I, I may think it's an okay certain way to show love to my wife, and I may express it, but if she has a different love language than I do, as much as I try, I may be missing the note. And I've learned through my experience, we think differently, and that very rarely ends up being right in in situations. And so I learned, hey, you know what, I I have to say nice things, because to me, I don't care if you say nice things about me, I'm fine with you just, you know. And so I've learned, you have to express it in ways that they want and they desire. I say that because often when it comes to worship, for us in a modern day setting, worship is often more about us than God. It's more about what we want, we desire, our preferences, our desires, and it really is not about God. In other words, in some sense, we're worshiping ourselves than God in a weird, uh, distant way. And so the goal, Paul, kind of some ways is to give clarity on what is and isn't worship, if you will. So, so when you see it, when you see the characterizations of worship, you'll go, this is it, this is what God intended to be. And over the weeks, we've walked through several key characteristics, one being focused on God. We've talked about uh, reverence. There has to be a sense of reverence, like God's not your homeboy. Uh, He's God. You need to understand that. And last week, we talked about how it needs to involve everyone. And, And that's why having a private worship life, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not in a true sense of biblical worship what it is. Worship must include the body, people fulfilling what God has created them to do and working together to do it. So today... We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, hopefully you're there by now, if not, it'll be on the screen, that's the best I can say, you can follow along, or maybe you made a friend next to you and you can read along with him. But today we're actually going to read one of the most famous verses from the book of 1 Corinthians, it's probably one you've heard before, and it says this, I'll read it to you, real quick, verse 4 through 7, and you guys, while I'm reading this, tell me, where do you most often hear this, ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 7, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy. It is not boastful, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not irritable, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Does anybody have any idea where we most often hear that? Wedding, thank you, Josiah, being front row and always giving me the answer when I need it right there. There's always that suck-up on the staff, isn't there? <laughs> oh, then there's JD. Um, yes, weddings. Weddings. We, we hear it all the time as a wedding. As a matter of fact, I did a wedding last Sunday, and I, I used this verse in the very wedding. And in every wedding I've done, I've used this verse, and it's a very great thing for weddings. But here, here's the problem I'm asking. In this text, is Paul giving guidance in marriage? Is that what he's getting at? The answer is no. That's not what he's talking about. And listen, there's nothing wrong with what he's using in that passage to describe and ascribe to marriage and say this is needed in marriage because that is true. But, but when we read letters, when we read texts, it's important that we get back to the original tent of the original author. I may blow your mind right now, but the Bible was not written to you contrary to what your grandma told you. It was not written to you. It was written to someone else for a specific purpose that God has ordained and used to be truth for us as well. You see, 1 Corinthians was a letter written by Paul to the early church that was started to their church addressing specific things in their church. And it was so good and so well known that other churches heard about it and said, hey, when you're done with that letter, can you pass it on to us? And it went to another church and they read say, said, hey, listen, this, there's good stuff in here. I know that maybe their exact things don't apply to us, but there's good truth and there's good principles. And it becomes so passed around, so well used that as history went on, the early church said, listen, that this goes back to what we see Jesus teaching. This is authoritative. This needs to be made into scripture. That, that's where it came about. And I say that because we often misuse Scripture. Like here's another one that's my favorite. If you're ever in the athletic world, you've probably heard this one from Philippians 4, verse 13, another one by Paul. You ready for it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Where do you hear that? Anytime an athlete wins a championship and they're holding up the trophy, they're like, man, I just want to thank God, which, hey, I love that, okay? I'm not discrediting people that do that. But they're holding up a trophy like, I want to thank God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One of my favorite is a guy named Steph Curry, a well-known athlete, and people look at it like, man, what, what he's saying is he, he's using everything that God has given him, but when you read Paul's letter, that's not what he's saying. Like, As a matter of fact, if you go a little bit back in verse 11, listen to what he says in the same verse. Paul says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. Like in any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being, ready for this, content. (laughs) Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through God who strengthens me. It's not about winning championships. It's not about accomplishments. It's about like, listen, if I have nothing, I'm content. Like the more appropriate one would be the loser (laughs) of the championship. We lost. Yeah, you know what? But I can do all things through Christ. I, I don't, I'm content. I'm content. Listen, is it true that Yes, we can do all things in a sense, but that's not what he's talking about. But that, that's just free bonus material right there. I'm just saying this. At the end of the day, listen, when you read the Bible, you have to be careful taking text out of context and making it into something that was never meant to be. Even with the best of intentions and the best of motives can be damaging at best. So it's important to say, well, what, what's, what's going on here? And so when we read 1 Corinthians, let's, let's give context Paul is writing to a church that is highly dysfunctional. Some scholars believe this church was a house church that ranged from 20 to, at best, 50 people in a church. And we've read about how this church is having infighting in these 30 to 50 people at the house, more or less coming together, and some are worshiping Paul, who's a a great preacher, and some Apollos, and they have this divide on who's the better preacher in the house and who we like better, and they're dividing and conquering with that. They're dividing over philosophies. They're, they're dividing over social economical stuff. We, we just read last week, a couple weeks ago, how some are getting early and they're eating the meal and they're taking the Lord's Supper and they're getting drunk, they're getting tipsy, drinking the Lord's Supper before anybody else gets there. Like they are having all sorts of issues. And one of the issues they're coming to is about who's best, that you see it over and over. Like who's the best preacher, who's the best at this, which spiritual gift is best. And Paul last week talks about, listen, you, you're missing it. Everybody is needed. We, we shouldn't elevate one or the other. I tell you this because it bleeds into what he's saying today. And if you miss that context, you, you make 1 Corinthians 4 through 7 about a wedding. And while, again, it's applicable, that's not what he's talking about. You, you, you're tracking with me here. want made fun of me because apparently I say that a lot. Tracking and bro. Apparently I say bro up here a lot. I'm going to try to tailor that down. Or maybe not because I like it. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Bro, let's read it. <laughs> start. Let's go back to verse 12b and start a little bit before that. Uh, he says this. He says, but desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. Remember, it's bleeding over. He just got done talking about everyone is needed in the church. Every spiritual gift, whether you th- think you're the best or the least, you are drastically needed. And he's like, I want to show you something better than even that, and he says this in verse thirteen, chapter thirteen. He says, "If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but I, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, guess what? I, I gain nothing." You know why? Because love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self seeking. It is not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. You see, love never ends. But as the prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, guess what? It will come to an end as well. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. Like when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put aside childish things. For for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But then face to face... Now, now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. See, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. What is Paul talking about here? If we talk about a lot of things worship is, it's important that we grasp this as well. If not only worship is focused on God, worship should be reverent, worship should involve everybody, but, but, but don't miss this because it's the key ingredient that you have to have. Worship must be rooted in love. It must be rooted in love. That word rooted, I think, is a great word. It means developing from or being strongly influenced by something. Like, worship must be strongly influenced. It must be grounded in love. What what is Paul saying about love in regards to the church? Because understand, he's speaking to the church, people who can't get along. Like, listen, if you can't get anything right, you need to get this right. You want to worship spiritual gifts, you want to worship all the great things, but yet you're missing love, you're missing everything. You're, You're missing it all. And so he starts in verse 1 through 3 talking about this, how love is foundational. It's foundational to the church. We need to be known for it. Do you know what foundational means? It, it means the base that everything else is built on. If any of you have ever had a house with foundation issues, you know what foundational means. It means no matter how great the structure is built around it, if you do not have a firm foundation of this, everything else is drastically affected by it. My last house I lived in had 13 piers on the house. No, that's nothing to do with water or anything else. That means more or less my ground was unsettled. I had cracking all over the place. Man, it affected everything. It busted pipes in the ground. It caused all sorts of issues. Foundational, it makes a difference. Paul is saying love is foundational. In verse 1, he speaks specifically to the church of Corinth. Remember, he's writing them a letter, and he's addressing something they would have understand. And he says, if I speak of human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong. He talks about tongues of men. He talks about tongues of men. He's talking about eloquent speaking. Like, listen, if I'm a great speaker of this world, but I don't have love, it's worth nothing. This refers back to something he already addressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where they were arguing who's arguing over who's the best. Is it Paul? Is it Apollos? Is it Peter? Like, who's the best orator? Who's the best speaker? Who's, that, that's what it's all about. And he's like, listen, no matter how great you are at communicating, no matter how great you are at speaking, if you don't have love, it's nothing. Yeah, not, not just that, he says, well, what about angelic language? If you speak the tongues of angels. Now, now, there's a lot of debate what this means. I think he's talking about a great speaker, not of this world. Like something of a language that we can even fathom. If you reach the pinnacle of, of communication and speaking, and you'll see him talk about this in chapter 14, which is a big issue when it comes to speaking in tongues. And if you're curious about that one, because you're like, I can't wait for that hotbed, come next week. You're going to love it, okay? But he talks about tongues of angels, which is such an interesting thing. There are different views. So some believe that literally there's an angelic language that is spoken, and that we might be able to tap in that. And that's what tongues uh, provides itself out in, which I guess makes some sense. I mean, how many of you just assumed when you got to heaven, all the angels are going to speak English, right? Typical American fashion, right there, aren't we? It's always about us. Everyone should speak art like. Is that what you think? What kind of language? I don't know. Does it make sense? They may speak an angelic language, a godly language. Maybe so. But the reality is there's nowhere in scriptures that talk about an angelic language. It's the only reference. And so other scholars actually believe this is actually talking about not necessarily an angelic language, but possibly saying, listen, if you reach a language that even the angels would admire, speak communication, listen, but you don't have love, man, it's all worthless. It means nothing. As a matter of fact, I love, uh, and, and I make, 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 make no mistake about it, t- speaking in tongues is not the focus here. Some people get so caught up on this, well, what's he talking That's not what he's getting at. To get hung up on that misses the second part of the verse where he says what? I I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. in In other words, without love, doesn't matter how great I'm communicating, at best I'm just an annoyance, a nuisance sound. Do I need to get that picture in your mind? I've asked for permission of this video, but here a few weeks back, the children's ministry, as they were uh, teaching on uh, the wall of Jericho and blowing the trumpets, they gave them all little trumpets that they could take home and play with. Did any of your parents, any of you guys, get that taken home with you? Uh, before one of the parents left the parking lot, Emily and I received the video. Would you go ahead and play that video? Thanks, Emily. <laughs> I did ask permission. I'm just sorry. Can you do that one more time? That's just too good right there. <laughs> Thanks, Emily. <laughs> now listen, he's, he's saying this, it don't matter how great of a communicator you are, no matter how gifted you think you are in this area, or talented, whatever it is, if you don't have love, that, that's how you come across. No, no matter how it is. How many times have we seen pastors and stuff that we think are gifted, I mean, they're gifted, but yet, man, they're just there's no love in them and we just don't listen to them. We tune them out. He's like, you're missing it. He says in verse 2, he says, if if I have it all, but, but not love, then I've gained nothing. He starts using all. In other words, if I've achieved perfection, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and understanding, he says, understanding all mysteries. Like, listen, if I've perfected what it means to interpret and understand the Bible, if I've perfected hearing from God and being able to communicate what God is saying, he says, and if I have all faith, Like, if I've perfected faith to the point that I literally said, hey, this mountain, you need to move. And it moves as Jesus described. If you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could command this mountain to move and it would do it. If you had all that, man, you perfected it to the world's astonishment. You have it all. But yet, you don't have love. Guess what? You possess nothing. There's nothing for you to brag about. I am. Literally, he says, I am nothing. Nothing. He says, and if I, if I give away all my possessions, if I perfected what it means to live and to love and to sacrifice and to give, and I even give my bodies over to the flames, I've given my life as a martyr. But yet there's not a heart, a root of love in that. What does he say? He says what? I've gained nothing. The, the, the summarization is any gift, any sacrifice or miraculous work is worthless without love. And so for us to spend all our time focusing, man, how can we get better communication? How can we get better at this? Listen, if if we're not known for our love, then we're not known for anything that is worthwhile. So the question you have to ask yourself is when people look at us, do they see or do they feel love in what I'm doing? Is that all they, or do they miss it? Do they see a gifted person who is completely heartless and unloving what they're doing? And again, he's speaking to a church body when it's talking about people looking across the aisle. They may look at you like, man, that person is very gifted. But they're unloving, man. What have you gained? Nothing. He continues on, verse 4 through 7, and begins to talk about the characteristics of love. How do you know love when you see it? In verse 4 through 7, he describes the phrase we all know. And when you look at it, there's a clear thing you need to notice. It talks about love is sacrificial. It's a choice. It's not a feeling. Everything he describes in those, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it is not boastful. None of those describe an emotion or feeling. They're all choices we make. They're all responses to other people. And that's why it's beautiful to see at a wedding because, listen, true marriage is not built on emotions or feelings, right? Anybody who's been married more than it longer than a day, understands how short that lasts. No amens, men, because you'll get yourself in hot water right now if you say that. But it's a choice. And Paul's saying, listen, if we make the choice to truly show love, you'll see it exhibit this way. And it's important that you unpack and look at each of those. He says love is patient. You know what patient means? It means to suffer long, to, to have a long use. When it comes to other people in this room, can honestly people say, man, that person is patient with me. I know I'm difficult, but man, they have been patient with me. Love is kind. I love that word. Kindness is a proactive in nature. Like it returns goodness regardless of what we receive. It's a disposition as much as response. Like ask yourself this question, do people enjoy being around me because of how I make them feel? C- can I tell you something? I just saw a head shaking over there. Sorry, you threw me off. Do people, I mean, really, kind people attract other people to them. If no one's to be around you, man, you probably lack kindness in how you respond. Love does not envy. That word is a jealous longing for one's own improvement to another's detriment. It comes from the Greek word uh, zealous, which means to boil or burn. It literally means to boil or burn with jealousy. Like when it comes to you, are you genuinely happy for others and their accomplishments? Or do you look at them and get frustrated whenever they outshine you? Man, why is that not me? Why am I not getting the accolades? Why am I not getting the attention? So many churches struggle with this. We look at the church down the street and we go, man, how come they're having so much success and what's wrong with us? And we burn with jealousy rather than say, man, isn't it awesome? God is working in our midst. is love is not boastful. I love boastful. It means it does not brag on oneself. Bragging is the other side of jealousy. Jealousy is wanting what someone else has. Bragging is trying to make someone else jealous of what you have. Are you known for dishing out praise? Do you need praise to be validated? Do you let people have their moment, or do you have to one up them in every situation? If they get acknowledgement and accolades, I've got to get mine too and make sure. Are you the one up person in every story? What's going on? Love is not arrogant. That means literally to be puffed up. It means you don't walk around with a pride, like, look at me, look at how awesome I am. Like, do you believe others might know or be able to do better than you? Love is not rude. This describes a person who does, not, who does not care enough for those around them to act becomingly or politely. It cares nothing for their feelings or sensitivity. In other words, it says, I'm just going to mow you over, I don't care. Do you ever wonder why people don't want to be around you? Is it because you're rude and you take no account of their feelings and thoughts and how they feel? Love is not self-seeking. That's focused on self. It has to be my way. Like, think about when it comes to other people in this room, does it have to be your way, especially in regards to something that you're passionate about? is my preferences or nothing. Like, listen, if you don't bend an ear to what I want, then, man, listen, you're wrong. He's talking about that's not what love is. Love is not irritable. Like, think about this. Do people have to tiptoe around you as to not make you angry? Are you that person? Love keeps no record of wrongs. It means forgiving and forgetting. But think about people in this room in your life. Are people in your life a culmination of their mistakes? When you see them, do you just have a built-up and all the things they've done wrong, and they'll never live up? Love takes no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. I love that one. It means to celebrate what is good and to mourn what is bad, regardless who it is. Think about this. Does it make you sad to see your enemy suffer? Does it make you sad to see someone in this room that has wounded you, hurt, practice unrighteousness? Or or when their sin comes to the fan, you're like, (laughs) about time. What's your attitude? Love bears all things. I love that one. It has the thought protection. It's like putting a metaphorical umbrella over others. Do people feel like you have their back? They can trust you. Believes in hopes all things. Believes in the potential of people. Do people feel like you truly believe in them? And last but not least, I love it, it says endorse. In original Greek, this was a military term used to describe armies holding a vital position at all costs, not to give up the high ground, if you will. In other words, it doesn't quit. It doesn't give up. Do people feel like they can count on you to still be there when all is said and done? Or how often do we move on? Now listen, you may be bored reading through that list, but to just hear a list of words and not understand their meaning, you miss what Paul's trying to get at. This is what love looks like. And until you can find yourself with every person's room practicing, embodying that, listen, we, we, we can't say we're doing something right. Something's off. And each of those have nothing to do with how I feel. It's with how I choose to respond. Well, I think about this, is North Point known for these characteristics? More so are you. And so he talks about love is foundational. Love is a sacrificial choice, not a feeling. And then he talks in verse 8 through 12 how love is eternal. And I think it's such a powerful thing. Look what he says. He says, love never ends. Some people try to put it back in verse 7. It ties an ending to that. But actually it follows to what he's going to next. He says, love never ends. Think about it. He says, but as prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, uh, they will cease. It will all come to an end. But guess what? Love will not. Of all the things we do here on earth, love will be one of the few things that continue into eternity. Think about it. When we get to heaven, there'll be no more need for teaching. My job's done. Eric, you're out of job. What are you? There's no more need for it. There's no more need for prophesying. There's no more need for speaking in tongues. There's no more need for healing because all will be taken away and we'll have full revelation. But what will continue? Love will continue into eternity. And for us not to value something that's going to last into eternity, it's foolish and short sighted at best. He says, verse 9 through 10, it says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfect perfect comes, the partial will come to end. He said, We can only partially see and partially understand, but when we come into an eternity, we will fully know, we will fully grasp, we will fully see. And all those things that we worship here on earth, guess what? They, They won't matter. And what will last? worshiping and loving God, loving those who are around me. So why wouldn't we put that at the pinnacle? Paul even goes on in verse 11 and 12. I love to give two illustrations on explaining what this looks like. In verse 11, he uses this childhood imagery. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I fought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put aside childish things. I love when I was a student minister in my last church, we had a guy's retreat weekend. We called it Dull. Dudes Unleashed is what it stood for. And so the whole weekend, and that was the motto on our shirt, it says, I'm a man, and on the back it said that. And we had all these activities that wore them out, and by the end of the night, the girls were doing a girls retreat at the same time. We had guys laying on pews worn out, and they go, I don't want to be a man anymore. They were so tired and exhausted. And i tell you that because I use that out of context too. That's not what he's talking about, us becoming men or becoming adults. He's talking about just as childs who, in their thought and their opinion and judgment and their attitude, their logical reasoning, it's shallow at best because they don't fully comprehend. They don't fully understand. They speak and talk without restraint, without forward thought. They don't, they just can't grasp. He says, but when we res- move into adulthood, when we become mature, when we come into fullness of Christianity, of, of, of heaven and with God, guess what? All those things that I once fought and dealt with will all be put aside because they're childish in comparison. That's what he's talking about. Compared to the age to come, the present age is childish. He says in verse 12, he says, we're taking another one. It says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But, but then face to face, I, I only knew in part, but then I will be known and fully known. This is foreign to us because we have pretty good mirrors in this day. But back in this time, mirrors were made of bronze. And as best as you smooth it out and the best you can, you could see reflection. But it was a very blurred out vision. You could not see clearly. And so it would be real easy to look in the mirror and kind of get a, a faint picture, but really not know what you look like. James uses this illustration later as well in his letter. And think of uh, uh, old tube TVs or black and white compared to high def nowadays with the difference of what you see. I'll never forget when Emily and I were first married. We are in this little 900-square-foot house, this little tiny living room that I swear was from here to here, the TV. And I had this little 20-inch tube TV, and I'm watching the OU football game, and Emily goes, what's the score? And I go, I think that's a two. I don't know. I really, I really can't tell. I, I know. I think one team's out. I don't know. And for our graduation present for us, when we graduated college, we bought ourselves a big old 45-inch plasma screen TV, which doesn't sound cool now, but back in the day, that was something else. Man, we thought we were living high on the hog. We put it on our wall. Man, our house is so small, it felt like wallpaper. You know what I'm talking about? We put it up. I turn on the game, and I'm sitting back like, I can see his face, dude. That dude's angry. I can see clearer than ever before. Paul's kind of saying the same thing like this. Like, listen, when it comes to eternity, we're like looking at tube TV going, I I think it's a tube. I think I see what's going on. But when we stand in the presence of God and we see clear, we're like, wow. I wasn't seeing what I say now. See, in in the view of eternity, everything will be clear. He's saying this, listen, don't don't be short-sighted on what's going to last compared to eternity. And so for us to, to worship giftedness, for us to worship talent, for us to elevate one another and cause these conflicts, but let, guess what? Neglect love? Man, you, you're, you're missing the boat. You're missing it. You're missing it. And he ends with this beautiful statement. He says, now these, these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. All are vital to the Christian faith, are they not? We need faith, we need hope, we need, but, but guess what? The greatest of these is love. He, he's saying love must be made a priority. When we stand on the other side of eternity. we won't need faith anymore. We won't need hope. It's been fulfilled. But love will continue. And so for a church that just comes and says, you know what, it's not, we're, we're a lot of things. We're not really loving. Listen, then, then you're nothing at all. And the world tries telling us the same thing, that all you need is love. Listen, it's true. But the reality is the love is, by the world, is being misdefined. It's not love based on what the world tells us, it's based on how God defines it. God defines love in this, it's obedience to what he says, it's submission to what he says, it's faithfulness to what he says. It's not blind ignorance and blind kindness, it's not all that sort of stuff, it's obedience to who he is. You see, worship for it to be true, for it to be as God intended, must be rooted in love. And and, and so listen, when we sing today, when we do what we do today, If you have issues with people in this room, if you have problems, if you have hatred with someone in this room, listen, you cannot properly worship God. Jesus would say in his scripture, in his gospels, one of the gospels would say this, listen, if you have an issue with someone and you come to the altar to sacrifice, to make your offering of worship to God, leave your sacrifice there, go and reconcile with your brother, then come back and deal with it. How backward is it for? church today. As long as you sit on that side of the room and stay away from me, I'm cool. We'll do our own thing and we'll just coexist. Listen, that that is not biblical. Or I'm going to go to another church and find another place of people who are like-minded and and I don't have issues with. Listen, that's not biblical. There there has to be a sense of love. Now listen, I I know what I'm saying sounds very euphoric, right? Sounds, Sounds unrealistic. And this feels impossible. And many of us are going, okay, that, just, that sounds great, Eric, but that's not realistic, is it? And I'll say this, listen, it is if you haven't seen and experienced it in your life. But you know what the beauty of what Paul's talking about here, verse four through seven, is practically a biography of Jesus Christ and the life he lived and the sacrifice he made. It, is it impossible for the average person? Yes, but not someone who's been saved and experienced the love and grace of God. Because you've seen it, You've received it. You've experienced it. And not only of that, he's empowered you with the spirit to do it. And so there's no excuse. And so to look at it and go, well, we can't do it. Yes, we can. You're just getting in the way of it. That's it. You're the one causing the issue. Allow what you've experienced, what you've seen, what's in you to take root and to do it. And so I'm saying this to you. Listen, if you've been saved, do what he did for you for someone else. Whoever you have an issue with, whoever you struggle being patient with, that just tests your nerves, that drives you crazy, whoever you got that list of wrongs in your life, listen, what did Christ do for you? He put it on the cross for you. And we need to do the same. We need to do the same. The cross is the ultimate display of love. Now, for some of you in the sound of my voice, that is impossible because you've never received salvation. you never received the gift from God. You've never come to acknowledge that I need this in my life and that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. And until I receive it, you can't give it. I'm just telling you right now, it's not going to happen. And today might be the day that you receive the best gift of all kind. And that's a relationship with a God that loved you so much that He sent His one and only Son to die on the cross for your sins and provide salvation to you. But you have to choose to receive it. As a, as a church, I ask every week, and I gotta know, how are we doing when it comes to worship? But like, seriously, have, have we really worshipped God at all in this place? If we're not putting these things in practice and doing it, listen, there's a real question of may, maybe what we're experiencing is not really worship of God, it's worship of the God that we've created and it looks a lot like us. And it's not the one in the Bible that we read. God wants to be worshipped in spirit and truth based off who he says, what he says, and what he's done. What will you do? So I'm going to ask real quick where you're at with your, just bow your heads and close your eyes and just allow God to speak to you for a second. Because when I read through those lists of things, there's, there's probably somebody in this room that popped into your mind that you realize, you know what, I, I've just had an issue with them. And scripture makes it clear you cannot say I love God and hate his children. It just does not work. So today might be the day you might need to walk to one of them and go, hey, listen, I, I, need, to, I need to ask for forgiveness because I've been harboring bitterness towards you. I haven't shown you love. Or maybe you've worshipped the other gifts and just said, I don't really care about love. I'm not putting an effort towards that. And you're completely neglecting what Christ has called the church to be and do. And so I pray that you would respond in kind and be faithful to that. Because if our church gets anything right... It has to be love. It's God defined it. For some of you who have not experienced this love I'm talking about, listen, there there are going to be people available in this room standing around the sides to love nothing more than to walk you through what it looks like to be saved. How you do that. There's no secret code, there's no magic trick. It's just coming saying, God, I need you. I've been trying to do it on my own too long. I want to receive your grace, I want to receive your gift, I want to receive your love. So today might be the day you respond. Father God, I pray that you stir in our hearts, our minds, and our souls what you're trying to tell us. God, I, I want North Point to be known for a lot of things, but I don't want it to be for giftedness. I don't want it to be because of worship style programs. I, God, I want it to be because of you. Only because we love each other and love others so well. And when people look deeper into that, they see it's all because of the cross and because of what you did for us in the gospel. And so I pray that we'd live that out. God, I pray for anybody that's sound of a voice needs to respond. I pray you give them confidence to get up, go talk to one of the leaders around the outskirts who are standing ready to, to help them, encourage them, to pray for them, to guide them. But God, don't let them leave here convicted and do nothing about it stir in us. God, we love you because you're good and you're faithful and you desire all of us. And I pray we give you that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask if you'd stand. Around the side I have some elders and other leaders. Uh, they're going to be available. If you, you need someone to pray with you, encourage you, just pray confidence like you know you need to do something but you just need someone just, man, come talk to them and ask them to pray for you. Or maybe today you need to receive this gift of salvation. You're like, listen, I, I need that. Don't let another day go by. You respond. Let's worship God.